You are Locked On Bucks, your daily podcast on the Milwaukee Bucks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Backs him down. Giannis into the lane. Giannis spinning. Welcome to Locked on Bucks. I'm Eric Bame, Milwaukee Bucks reporter at The Athletic Wisconsin. Not joining me as always, as it is a Thursday, is my good friend and the founder of BrewHoop.com, Frank Madden. Frank will be back along once we get next week started. So it is is a Thursday night. I'm watching Lakers Blazers as we speak, and it's just nice to actually say that rather than have some other random game on while I'm recording, whether that is a football game or a basketball game or not a basketball game, I should say, or a baseball game. Like I actually have basketball on my TV as I'm recording lockdown bucks. That feels very good. It is strange seeing LeBron James in a Lakers Jersey, but I think I'm okay with it and used to it. And you know what? Uh, it's going to be, um, uh, interesting to watch the Lakers because they are they're quite messy outside of a couple players um and really it's it's like LeBron and Hart and maybe Ingram and Kuzma's pretty good and I'm not sure on Lonzo quite yet I was a big Lonzo guy and now I'm not quite sure so it's gonna be interesting to watch them um but I can say that about any team I can say that because you know your league pass actually means something and you can start watching basketball so life is very good at the moment so a couple things that I wanted to hit on and then we'll talk a little bit more about just kind of some things to think about as we head into the Bucks' second game here on Friday and obviously their first game or their first regular season game, I should say, in five-serve form on Friday night. So uh, a couple of things that I want to talk about, uh, I had a couple requests from people um, asking if since I am now on the road, since I'm now traveling uh, for Bucks road games, if I could describe arenas and my experience in said arenas and how I feel about those arenas. Uh, and uh, I think I can. And and I think that seems like a pretty, uh, a pretty easy uh, kind of thing, a pretty easy assignment for me. So shout out to the couple of you that care. But uh, I joked, I said, I don't know why you'd want to know that. But people said, you know, you only get to experience one arena uh, if you're a Bucks fan at Pfizer Forum, or if you're a Bucks fan watching them somewhere else. You only get to experience the the arena that you regularly get to see them in. So, um, yeah, let's do this. So, Spectrum Center in Charlotte, uh, downtown Charlotte. Uh, didn't know this until I got there, but apparently uh, last night was the opening night of Hamilton in Charlotte. So, downtown Charlotte was hopping uh, as we as we got ready for the game. Uh, so that was a weird and you know, unusual experience. Uh, just that, you know, the surge pricing on Ubers and stuff was, uh, based on Hamilton. Uh, I would say a lot more than it was based on, uh, the horn, the Hornets home opener, uh, but still, uh, a fun one. So, uh, spectrum center, uh, I, 
I think in arena, I would have to double check exactly how long ago it was made. I know as I was talking with some people in Charlotte that I, I was thinking it's probably the 2002, 2003 range, uh, for when it was made, um, in Charlotte. So it's a little bit on the older side, um, which is, I mean, totally fine. Um, and I, I thought, I'm guessing, I'm not 100% sure, um, but my guess is the spot that I had there, and it was 2005 that it opened, um, so 13-year-old arena. I'm guessing the spot I had there is going to be one of the better spots that I get to watch a game from. Uh, the lower bowl, not as big as Fiserv Forum's lower bowl. Um, didn't go quite as high up, and I was sitting pretty much dead center, uh, maybe a little bit off to the left of midcourt, but it was definitely in between midcourt and like the opposite three point line or and one of the three point lines. So, very nice seats, uh, not too high up on that first level. Uh, and yeah, I thought that was pretty good. Uh, food was good, uh, had some pasta dishes, as a little bit of salad, uh, before the game. So, uh, nothing spectacular, but also just you know, a totally fine pregame meal. Uh, the only thing that is kind of strange is the the hallways there are painted black, uh, and then they have uh, purple and teal and white like trim, which you would think it would like would kind of brighten it up, but the black really kind of deadens everything. And I don't know, it was just kind of like dark hallways, even though like there were lights in those hallways and stuff because of the black walls. So that was a little bit strange, but I would say overall pretty good, easy experience. Uh, no real problems there, and I look forward to the next time that I go to the Spectrum Center because I, I think my seat there is going to be probably one of the better seats I get at games uh, for you know where different media people are seating. So uh, that is one of the things someone wanted me to talk about. Uh, the other thing was, and like I said, we'll talk more about the upcoming game and you know bigger picture ideas that I'm thinking about again, but. Another question that I had asked was, yes, it was just one game and, you know, we've had some preseason and we've seen them get a lot of run and the person on Twitter asked, I should try to find it, but, you know, what what do you think of Dante DiVincenzo? Do you want to rethink or change your opinion after after a game, after the preseason? Uh, and the it was... Sent by MKE underscore anonymous on Twitter. So thanks for the question to kind of give me a reset on this day as uh, I'm going solo without Frank. And I got to say, I, I'm not really ready to, to change my opinion on it. And I know I've had this conversation with a number of people, but, you know, like he's got to make shots. If you're going to be a wing in the NBA, you have to make shots. And I think overall, you have to be able to score as well. So I think it's two pronged in that, you know, if you can actually score when you get a step on someone, and we've seen Dante struggle with that at times. I've talked about that flip shot that he throws up uh, that I'm not a big fan of. Uh, so we've seen that. Last night, obviously, he had a layup where he kind of got all the way to the basket. He was able to protect protect the ball. He was able to lay it in with his right hand. I thought that was a pretty nice finish. Um, so that was a, a good sign to see. Obviously, you saw him hit his first two threes. Also a good sign to see. But I think all of the other, like, and I guess 
weird is making it seem as though it's demeaning or not worthwhile. But, you know, just the, the things that you see from Dante that aren't totally what you expect from a shooting guard, like some of the soaring in their defensive rebounds, uh, some of like the, just the, the overall weird instincts in, instincts to just try stuff that I wouldn't normally expect from a guard, whether that's, you know, uh, trying to fly in for rebounds, whether that's uh, trying to protect the rim, like by actually getting up in the air, like, like just and I guess on offense, the I thought in the preseason when we first started to get to see him, there was a lot of cuts from him that he was always like cutting to the basket. And, you know, it, it was kind of strange to see those things because so much of Bud's system is just kind of set up around the idea of, okay, there are these five spots around the arc. Let's get into those spots and let's set those spots up. And, you know, let's let's go to work from those five spots and we will work out of that from dribble penetration or moving the basketball. So it, it was just kind of, uh, he plays in uh, a unique way, let's say. Like, I don't think he plays like a lot of other shooting guards. And um, every every time I end up talking about this, bringing this up, people are like, well, those are all good things. Like, you know, that he does all those, that other stuff, like that's going to make him a capable role player. And uh, I mean, I think, think I agree with the kind of general take overall. Um, but the big thing is none of that stuff means as much if you can't make shots, if you can't score, uh, like if all you can do is all of the little things and in the scouting report, people know that they don't need to cover you. Uh, if in the scouting report, people know that, uh, you're not gonna be able to beat them to the basket, then all of that other stuff like kind of disappears and it, you just got to kind of generally think through this from like a basketball perspective. But if I'm closing you out and I know that you're going to be looking to make a play for someone else and not willing to shoot, not able to finish at the rim, not able to hit a three, then I'm going to play you in that way. And I, I don't, I'll, I'll be curious as uh, scouting reports take a little while to develop on players and, you know, might not even, have a great one after a year. Like you do have to play quite a bit for people to get a good feel for you. But you know, right now I feel like he's getting closed out. Like he's a real shooter and he hasn't proven that quite yet. And um, I think that can be helpful for getting to the rim and doing some of those other things, but you know, you, you have to prove all of that. So I would say I am largely still very much in a prove it mode that I need to, I need to continue to see it. And, you know, I know, I know that can be a little bit unfair, but I think that should be the standard for, for really any player that we shouldn't just assume that they can do something that you need to prove it. And, uh, we'll kind of see what he can do. And as, uh, as I often mention, you know, rookies are not typically very good basketball players. And it is kind of nice that, you know, it appears that, the game isn't too quick for, for Dante. I thought that was something that we were going to see a lot of, that the game would be too quick, that he wouldn't, wouldn't quite know where to go. Um, but yeah, so we'll, uh, we'll kind of, we'll have to keep an eye on that and, and see. But um, as far as changing my opinion, more bought in, anything like that, I, I don't think I am. Um, I think there you're seeing some good things from him, but also I just don't think that you're necessarily seeing quite enough to to totally know at this point and believe that you know Dante Divincenzo is is for sure going to be an NBA player. But 
yeah, you know, if if you put all the things that he's doing in game one uh, and some of the things that we've seen in the preseason with a knockdown shooter, then, you know, like he's going to keep moving up the the kind of tiers of players where he can go from, you know, a, a, a guy that's eighth through 10th in the rotation to a guy that's five to eighth. And then, you know, if it is all these little things, if it is able to get to, if he is able to get to the basket and score a little bit, if he is able to shoot, like if you put all those things together, like obviously he gets more and more valuable, but he has to prove all of those things yet. So uh, I will not change my opinion quite yet on Dante DiVincenzo. So bigger picture ideas as, as we watch the Bucks get ready for their home opener against the Indiana Pacers. Um, I think where my head goes in this one is I want to see what this Pacers team is like and how this Bucks team matches up with them. Last year, this Bucks team only beat the Pacers once. They, they beat them on January 3rd. That was the first time the two teams had played. And they beat him good. It was like 122-101 as I'm looking at it now. So they beat him pretty good. And then after that, they just really struggled with the Pacers and, and couldn't seem to do much of anything with them. And I'm... I'm just wondering, you know, if that'll that'll change all this year because when you when you think of tiers in the Eastern Conference, I think you look pretty clearly at, you know, the top tier is the Celtics and the Raptors. I think those are your top two teams and then uh, I think, you know, it's probably Bucks and Sixers and you have those two teams there and you try to figure out who's the better one of those two teams and you know how are the young guys going to work out in Philly and do they need more shooting and with the Bucks is everything just going to be fixed with Boonholzer or is there more things that they have to do like you're going to ask all those questions and then I feel like and again I don't I don't talk with a number of Pacers fans I don't really have Pacers fans in my mentions or anything like that but you know as you kind of think through the other teams in the Eastern Conference the Pacers were there. Um, the, the the Pacers were around, and the Pacers won 48 games last year. And, and I think I largely find myself thinking, you know, this team's going to fall off. Like, this Pacers team, I just don't know if they're that good. Like, I don't... I don't know if they got any better. I don't know if last year was kind of, uh, and we've seen seen this with the Bucks before, like one of the years where you're not supposed to be very good and you surprise everyone, and then the next year you're supposed to be good and everything kind of goes the other way. Like I, I don't know if there's any way to know uh, really what what the team is and what you should expect. And uh, you see a big contract for Miles Turner. Uh, you had Bojan Bogdanovic have a, a really nice year, uh, a really nice year last year. And you just kind of, you got to attempt to figure all this stuff out. And uh, there's just no way of knowing until we really get into it. And then they add a guy like Tyreek Evans. And I, like I, I just truly do not know what to expect from this Pacers team. And they crushed the Grizzlies on uh, opening night for them, which, you know, I I think is a pretty expected response. The Grizzlies are going to be one of the worst teams in the league. So I don't think that will surprise anyone, but 
I, I just don't really know what what this team is. And I don't know if they're good, if they're bad, anything like that. And I think it's going to be a really interesting test to see. Uh, obviously, if you're the Pacers, you're kind of playing a little bit of the continuity card where you know, this is, you're going to have the same coach. You, you have uh, a very similar team. You're bringing in a lot of the same guys. Like, are you are you going to be able to take another step? And the Bucks are obviously in a very different direction where they have a brand new coach and they're going to try to figure things out. But, you know, these, uh, I feel like Matt Moore saying this, but, you know, like the tiebreakers always end up mattering and, and that stuff always matters. And, you know, to have a, a division game early, it seems like something that wouldn't matter, but by the end of the year last year, the Bucks were uh, losing tiebreakers to just about everyone uh, in the Eastern Conference, and uh, it piles up. So it does matter just as much for those tiebreakers. It doesn't matter if you play them now or if you play them closer to the end of the season. So I think it's a, I don't want to say it, an important game as a second game would just be a ridiculous thing to say, but uh, for me, it's going to be a really interesting game to see exactly where this Bucks team is at and how good they can be and what they can do. Um, because I don't know that Charlotte was that test. Charlotte gave them some interesting things to think about with small ball and uh, how you kind of deal with that. But I think the Pacers are going to be maybe a little bit more traditional and you have to figure out how to uh, how to try to beat a team like that. So I think that's going to be uh, really fun to watch. And I, I, I'm sad for the Bucks that... Um, their opening night kind of gets overshadowed by uh, do or die baseball in Milwaukee uh, because, you know, you open up arena. That should be a, a really exciting event. Um, as someone being honest with you, as someone who uh, has lived in the state of Wisconsin for almost the entirety of his life, I don't blame people one bit for being more excited and into the Brewers game uh, and for being more pumped, nervous, uh, want to throw up, whatever it may be about the Brewers. Like I, I do not blame people for wanting to keep their eyes on that one. So um, it, it's going to be, to me, it's a little bit of a, a strange environment because I think a lot of people that, uh, you know, the people that would go to the Bucks home opener are also the type of people that, you know, might want to try to buy tickets to the Brewers game six game. Uh, and obviously there's some people that are just baseball fans or just people that are basketball fans, but I would guess that there is some overlap there. So uh, I think maybe a little bit of a weird vibe, but we'll have to watch and see. And, you know, hopefully it's loud and crazy and uh, Bucks fans get a good game uh, in, in game one in five serve form. And I shouldn't say game one. They've played other games, but real game number one, uh, real regular season game uh, opener for the Bucks against the Pacers. So we will see with that. Some other things I wanted to talk about with the Bucks specifically and in just kind of bigger picture ideas and and things to think about with the Bucks. The the one thing I think is kind of interesting looking at the the game from last from uh not last night from Wednesday night against the Hornets. When you look at Bud's rotations, um they're pretty tight. They're pretty they're kind of difficult to to get through. Uh, it, it, it's kind of difficult to get some time there. You look at 
the five starters, Giannis plays 35, Chris plays 33, Brogdon plays 38, Bledsoe plays 34. So uh, leaned pretty heavy into the starters there. Uh, Brooke Lopez plays 21 minutes. Ursan then plays 29 minutes. Uh, Dante DiVincenzo plays 22. Henson with 12. Snell with 11. Wood with 5. And Sterling Brown was with enough to be in the box score, but not enough to register a full minute uh, as he spelled Giannis there for uh, a little bit of the time when Giannis was in foul trouble. But, you know, you look at that, that's an, essentially that's a nine-man rotation. That's that's pretty small. That That is not a, a big, long rotation. And um, I'm just wondering what that kind of uh, evolves into, what that kind of ends up being. Uh, because, you know, you look at a guy like Tony Snell, uh, 11 minutes matches the millions he is he's making each year, you know? Like, uh, that's that's a pretty tough spot. And it, it does kind of reveal some of what we were talking about uh, when we did the over-under pod, when we did uh, talk about this team earlier in the year. But, you know, you look at, at Tony Snell, like the Bud and his guys don't owe him anything. They don't know him. Like, they just need to... <laughs> Uh, you know, try to put the best product on the plo- on the floor, try to put the best team on the floor. And if they think Tony Snell fits that, then that's great. But if he doesn't, then I guess he doesn't. And uh, it is just opening night. It is just one game. But Dante DiVincenzo outplaying him by almost double is, is pretty significant. 22 minutes for DiVincenzo, just 11 for Snell. And I- I'm going to be... Ri- I wonder if Snell can kind of play this style at a little bit higher level. For DiVincenzo, I think it's a little bit easier when you think about what he did at Villanova. He kind of played this style um, where everyone does a little bit, everyone moves the ball, everyone handles a little bit, everyone shoots a little bit. Like He already did that. For Tony Snell, this is insanely different. We talked about kind of all of the things that the Bucks did last year it was about you know having a a low usage shooting guard that would essentially just stand and shoot which is a great role for Tony Snell and something that he could really handle and defensively he was able to work and uh, you know really make some of the best players in the league work every night Um, but at the same time he wasn't doing a whole lot on the offensive end and I I've I don't know it's it's weird to think through that DiVincenzo doubled him up on minutes in opening night. And I think for the most part, I think you could say DiVincenzo looked pretty good, like looked like he belonged. He was a minus nine on the night though. Um, And he might've got dragged down by playing with, you know, a couple units and uh, a a single night of plus minus doesn't say a whole lot. We talked about that a little bit with Ursan on last night's podcast, but um Tony Snell might be a bit of an odd man out. And I know our, our friend over at the ring of Jonathan Sharks wrote about second year guys that might break out. And he included Sterling Brown in that list. And well, Sterling Brown barely played last night. And um, I think both, both Frank and I, I can be Sterling stands at time where at times where we really like all of the things that he does. And when you talk about a guy that can shoot it a little bit, that can pass a little bit, that can handle a little bit, that was the type of basketball Sterling Brown played at SMU in college uh, and would seem like he'd be a good fit, but didn't really get a whole lot of time. So um, 
I don't know what happens there, but I thought a, a tight rotation was kind of interesting, especially on a team that uh, in those spots, let's say, I don't, know, I don't even know how deep you want to go. Let's from seven to thirteen is. I mean, I don't think there's huge differences between some of those players. Like, I think 7 through 12, they're pretty close. They're pretty comparable talent-wise. So, uh, I think it'll just be something to keep an eye on going forward. The other thing I wanted to talk about, and I wrote about it today at The Athletic Wisconsin, uh, is you're probably going to be listening to this on a Friday, uh, maybe Friday morning, but it should go up Friday morning, so you should get a chance to see it there. But um, it was really interesting to watch this Bucks team play a little bit last night because earlier in the week, uh, I kind of wrote my, my Giannis season preview. I wrote uh, about how they've really gone out of their way to put Giannis in the middle of the floor. And Giannis kind of confirmed as much uh, to me when, when we talked about it uh, before they got the regular season opened up the other night, like we talked about it over the weekend and he's like, yeah, you know um, not everyone notices that, but yeah, I'm, I'm in the middle of the floor uh, a lot more now. And it, for me, it opens up all my playmaking. It allows me to see all my options and in the article, I, I pulled a clip from a game early in the year last year where the Bucks were playing the Trailblazers, and the Bucks did their their play everyone knows, where Giannis just kind of goes over to the left wing, uh, puts the ball in his right hand, starts to back down his, his guy, and the Bucks clear out that whole side. There's uh, one player on the top of the key, and then there's three over in, in the corner. And the clip that I pulled, like I told Frank the other day, is a little bit unfair. It included DeAndre Liggins and also had John Henson in it, but it was Liggins, Henson, and Brogdon, and they were the three guys in that weak side corner. And, you know, no one cared about him. Defenders didn't care because, you know, how are we going to get hurt there? As long as one of us is over there to make sure Brogdon doesn't shoot a three with Liggins and Henson in the corner, it's nothing. It doesn't mean doesn't mean anything. And I, I so I, I wrote something about like, you know what, you're probably not going to see a whole lot of Giannis post-ups anymore. Like you, you might see some when they get a mismatch, you might see them um, where they get a switch onto him. But overall, you're not really going to see a lot of, uh, of that. And to my surprise, 52 seconds into the game last night, uh, or against Charlotte two days ago now, uh, Giannis just backed his way into one. And it was kind of a strange sequence because Chris Middleton was the inbounder and he grabbed the ball and threw it pretty far ahead to Giannis, who was kind of leading the pack and he was on the left wing and he brought it up the left wing and immediately moved to a back down of Marvin Williams. And why I say it's interesting is, you know, like Marvin Williams isn't the smallest guy and uh, I mean, clearly he's not a center and Giannis isn't going to be like afraid to back him down, but still a pretty good sized guy. And they immediately got into one of those sets and it was cleared out left side and uh, Brooke Lopez in the top spot. And then uh, on the other side, you had Brogdon in the right hand corner, the the weak side corner. You had Eric Bledsoe on the right wing and then you had uh, Chris Middleton kind of on the... Uh, lane line like if you draw a line all the way from lane line to lane line all the way up like he was kind of over there and 
in my head, I was like, okay, I guess I was dead wrong. Apparently this is still something that they're going to do. And it was just so, it was so crazy to watch because they ran that play. And again, last year, like, it's not really a play. It is literally Giannis just grabbing the ball and deciding to ISO on, on the left wing. And they go to that, and one, I was shocked that, you know, a, a system that predicate, that's predicated on ball movement and player movement and pace and space, like, would go to that because it's it's kind of strange to put all those guys on one side of the floor. And I was pleasantly surprised when all of a sudden there was a lot of action. And you saw Eric Bledsoe come from in between Brogdon and Middleton and come set of a flare screen for Middleton to flare. So Middleton is flaring away from the ball. He comes in, sets the screen. Yeah, he hits Nicholas Batum, Nicola Batum, excuse me. Uh, so he hits Batum and Batum kind of freezes. Uh, as he was coming to set that flare screen, what Kemba Walker, his defender, thought he was doing was cutting to the basket. So Walker stands in the middle. Uh, Batum is in the middle and Middleton is flaring away from the ball and everyone's just kind of staring and watching. And in the meantime, Giannis is able to drop step to the baseline, pivot one more time, throw a bounce pass out to Malcolm Brogdon, and it put Jeremy Lamb in a weird spot because he was trying to recover from the very backside, and there wasn't a bigger guy there because Brooke Lopez was out at the three-point line, and Malcolm Brogdon gets a corner three, and there was no one there to help because there was actual action in the middle of the floor, and it was just, it was such a, a strange play to watch because when you saw it you were thinking what the hell like this isn't this isn't what i heard about the mike boonholzer bucks i i had heard that they're gonna move the ball a lot and there's gonna be a lot of spacing and they're gonna there's gonna be a lot of movement and i'm watching this play that i know doesn't work and i didn't see last like i saw it a million times last year and i i know it doesn't work and yet inside of that you could see all of Boonholzer's principles so rather than standing still on the backside and and letting Giannis kind of back his way into a shot or an attack at the rim essentially what they were doing was finding a, a shot for someone else that the goal of that was was not to get Giannis uh, a look was not to get Giannis a bucket it was to get someone else a bucket and it was just kind of the this kind of interesting realization where it's like okay last year when they ran that play that play was for Giannis and they were trying to simplify his playmaking on the backside so if a double came he would know exactly where to throw it to uh and they were trying to you know not make it difficult to figure out the right reads like they were trying to keep defenders away so they were trying to get guys to spread out and uh hopefully keep the help away but essentially what they were doing was just allowing defenses to key in on Giannis and they knew no one was going to move so they could figure out how help defenders could take away those passes and take away those shots. And essentially the goal was for Giannis to score and they were making it harder to score. And this year that play isn't about him anymore. That play is about that. That play is about getting someone else a shot. That play is about getting the team a good look. And it is just kind of strange to think this exact it's the exact same play it's just run a totally different way 
because you're thinking about something totally different. And I just thought it, it was interesting. And that play happened a couple more times. And every single time Giannis passed out of it and he was looking for the opposite side of the floor. And, you know, there was times last year where he would find an opposite side of the floor pass, but it was largely because there was so much help. There were so many guys uh, coming over to, you know, just kind of trap Giannis that it, it wasn't really because anyone had moved or, or made a really great play offensively. Like, you know, they just decided that they were going to put four on him and he could make a pass out. Like, this is more, you know, waiting for screens to actually happen. And I just thought it was really interesting. I highlighted it over at The Athletic Wisconsin, uh, as I've mentioned a couple times this week. If you use uh, the, if you go to the website, theathletic.com slash tipoff40, again, theathletic.com slash tipoff40, you can get 40% off of a subscription at the moment. Uh, so that would actually be about $3 a month, uh, which I think is quite reasonable. And again, I know the, the subscription-based stuff isn't for everyone, but I do think uh, I've put out some interesting stuff there. So hopefully you'll you'll take a look at that. And again, I essentially look at that play in the three times that we saw it in the first half of the game last night, and and what it says about the Bucks and what it says about what they're trying to do with Giannis and what Giannis is trying to do and uh, how this team is going to find success. So I, I hope that you'll go read it. I I think it it was a, an interesting look at how these two teams, uh, last year's Bucks team and this year. Bucks team are very different. So uh, that was something else I wanted to talk about, but I think that should be about it. Uh, we will have a podcast for you on Monday. Uh, Bucks schedule a uh, little bit stranger that there's not another weekend game. Uh, just have uh, this one on Friday. So the Pacers on Friday for the home opener. Uh, and then they stay at home on Monday and Wednesday, uh, Mondays against the Knicks. And then Wednesday against the Philadelphia 76ers. That is the Bucks first national TV game of the year. That game will be on ESPN next Wednesday. So you have a couple, uh, I think the Pacers and the Sixers are interesting games. The Knicks one, not particularly interesting with Porzingis out and, you know, hopefully a game that the Bucks can really take care of. Uh, but when you look at Pacers and you look at Sixers, two of these next three are uh, interesting games, good measuring stick games as you try to figure out who uh, the Bucks are as a team and the Bucks try to figure out who they are as a team. So it uh, should be some fun stuff in the next little while. Like I said, we'll have a podcast on Monday that breaks down this Pacers game and we might even record on Saturday. Sometimes we've been known to do that, that we wake up on Saturday morning and feel like recording then and that'll be our Monday podcast, but we'll figure out all of that. So hopefully you guys will be along for the next one. So for Frank Madden, I'm Eric Name. This has been Lockdown Bucks. Hopefully you have a great Friday as you get crazy at the Bucks game or you get crazy at the Brewers game. But either way, you get crazy at some sporting event and have a great weekend. Be safe. We'll see you guys on Monday.